0: Welcome to the Unplayable Podcast, brought to you by Qantas, the spirit of Australia. And we are now in Manchester ahead of the fourth Ashes Test. The series is 2 1 in Australia's favour. And it could all come down to what happens over the next couple of days or the next week here in Manchester. My name is Josh Honafinger. I'm joined by Louis Cameron. We've got Steve Smith coming up later in the episode. So hang around for that. He gives us some good insights. But first, Louis, I want to ask you how are you enjoying Manchester?
1: I'm loving Manchester. It's been good. We've uh, we've had a nice little break. Uh, the break came at a good time, as Steve Smith will tell you in a little while. Didn't do anything quite as exciting as going to Wimbledon, like like he did, but enjoying the sights of Manchester. I'm just looking out over Old Trafford at the moment. There's a lot of red. It's a very red kind of place, isn't it? And you've got uh, you know obviously Manchester United. We saw their ground the other day. Uh, that it's a, a red city. Hopefully it. Um, doesn't spell danger for Australia.
0: Let's talk about the ground just quickly. It's very odd. We've got two hotels where people could stay. We've got a very old, grand-looking pavilion that must be a hundred and so years old. We've got a temporary stand that is potentially the largest in England or largest in Europe. It's four years ago. It was
1: the largest in Europe. Yeah. That's right. So I'm not sure if they've taken it – I think they've taken it down and then put it back up in the years since. But it's a ridiculous structure, isn't it? Like walking underneath it. I mean, what did you kind of make of it?
0: Uh, Well, I wouldn't be too comfortable sitting right at the top, that's for sure. The barricades are quite small and – Uh, The fences, uh, it's quite steep as well. So um, if that's going to be full during the test match, it's going to be quite a sight.
1: And just kind of made up of uh, lots of scaffolding, like very temporary looking scaffolding, almost like what you'd see at the front of an old building if they're trying to restore it. So... Um, slightly odd, but overall it's, um, you know, it's a towering kind of, uh, stand and I mean the rest of the ground, yeah, it's all kind of piecemeal, but a lot of these English grounds kind of are a bit like that. So, uh, we've also got our first look at the pitch today, didn't we? So, um, one of the interesting things about that was, uh, that it's quite brown two days out. Normally you get the whole, oh, here's the pitch and it's really green and oh, it's going to be a green mumber. Then they shave the pitch off and it comes back to something resembling what we expect the test cricket pitch to look like. But it kind of looks to me at this early stage more like Edgbaston, that first Mm. test if we remember where it was quite dry, it was quite brown, uh, a long way out. Um, Yeah, just expected more grass on it. So we'll have to see how that plays out.
0: Yeah, it looks like a day one pitch at the minute rather Mm. than a two days out pitch, doesn't it? So it's going to be interesting to see how that uh, evolves over the next couple of days. We do have England's team though for day one. Uh, they announced that a few hours ago when we record this. James Anderson is the one change. He comes back in for his home test match. The opposite end of the ground to what we're sitting at at the minute is named after him, and he comes in for Ollie Robinson who yeah, had those back spasms in the last match. Exactly right, yeah. We don't know whether – I mean, that must have been a factor
1: in Ollie Robinson missing out in this test. I, I kind of – and I would ask Steve about this in the chat a bit later on, but I tend to think this is the best version of the England bowling attack um, you know, some people would say that Ollie Robinson's probably in there, but uh, I kind of think that Anderson and Broad just have him covered just at the moment, just longevity and and everything, and they're the same kind of style of bowler as him. And then you've got the extra pace of Mark Wood, uh, and then Chris Wokes bowled beautifully at uh, Headingley and his batting at the moment, um, you know, is a is a real strength too. Although I think Australia are onto something with him with the short ball. So um, interesting. We've heard from Mo and Ali as well. He's going to bat at three again. <laughs> Um, he's very uh, – I don't know if it's just him or because he, he did do this before the first test of the series when he'd be called out of retirement. He said, I'm not really a test spinner. I've never been able to hold down an end. Probably sold himself short, <laughs> short just a little bit, although, you know, um, you could you could quibble with that. Uh, but now he's basically saying that, you know, I'm not a number three. If I come off once in my next four innings, if presuming it gets to the oval, uh, then, you know, I'll be happy. So I mean that's a hilarious way to look at batting. What people say is the most important position in
0: the batting order, um, but that's baseball, isn't it? I guess if your stand or your expectations are super low, then you'll just be <laughs> uh, you'll be delighted with your results, won't you? Oh, I
1: suppose so. Yeah, I've never really heard anyone think about it quite that way in terms of position. We all thought was so important, but um, I mean it's it's an age old problem for England. This you know baseball can't kind of cover up for the fact that they've over the last probably 10 years they've had lots of good number four, five, six and sevens but not many one, twos and threes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Baz Ball's made that better in the sense that they found Duckett and Crawley, um, you know, two, you know, pretty solid openers really like guys who are getting them off to good starts more often than not. Um, but they're having this issue with Brook who's a, you know, let, let's be honest, like maybe a generational talent. Um and whether he can you know maintain that in test cricket is is to be seen but he's not number three Moen Ali basically said he's not number three at the moment uh so we want him at five so it is selfless from Moen in that regard thinking well look i'm a 36 year old bloke who's just come out of test retirement he can hold the stick you know there's there's no doubt about yeah. that um he's almost going to go in and sacrifice himself a little bit and if he gets 20 or 30 then he's kind of happy and uh hopefully that I guess, um, blazes away for their middle order to blaze away.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And, and, uh, well, as you said, uh, Joe Root is pretty experienced at coming in at two for not many uh, after many years of doing that for England. So I'm sure he won't be too thrown out if Moeen doesn't come off. That's Um, true, yeah. As far as Australia's team goes, we haven't been told what that is looking like yet. Josh Hazelwood did a press conference just now and he is potentially the one who might come into the side of course, Cameron Green is also looking to come back into the side, but how do you sort of see that jigsaw fitting at this stage?
1: Yeah, I think Hazelwood in for Boland is the obvious one and I think that's probably the best version of the Australian attack. Uh, you know, Nathan Lyon would be in that ideally as well for them. So you'd think Hazelwood for Boland in uh, is the the logical change and then they've got a decision to make around Warner and green i would say because just watching a warm-up here before mitch marsh was fielding in the gully in their their warm-up um in their kind of practice routine so and we kind of knew right like they they can't drop the guy who's undroppable after that i think so yeah so i kind of think he's set in at six or set definitely set in in the team then you know the conversation again is around david warner it's kind of the one we we keep having from test to test because there hasn't been too many big scores uh in the last 40 innings i think it is he's averaging under 30 over that time obviously the huge double 100 uh boxing day last summer but in between that hasn't been a a whole lot uh he he did make a really good half century at lord's and and he made some runs in the world test championship final so i think there's enough credits in the bank from that and from his overall experience that will probably hold him in the team which would suggest unless they're going to do something outrageous, uh, Cameron Green probably misses out for the next test. That seems to be the most likely thing, but I've been
0: wrong before, Josh. <laughs> so they'll keep their faith with Todd Murphy, the spinner, who wasn't really given much of a run on the last day at Leeds, was he?
1: Yeah, you would think – I mean, that that is the other option. Um, that would be a bold move. I mean, this is – uh, An Australian, so England, we've seen kind of shake up the balance of their team a little bit, and even even if you think like kind of India are often uh, inclined to do stuff like that, like you know sometimes they've kind of more recently gone a lot more with Jadeja at six or at seven or and more more often than not six now, um, and kind of had two spinners or th- and three quicks or four quicks and uh, one spinner. Uh, in that kind of mix. But but my point is they have have kind of altered the balance of their team a lot more and, and England yeah. are prepared to do it. I think Australia just like having four bowlers, yeah. five batters, a keeper and an all-rounder the ideally. The same structure. The sort of same of structure, thing. exactly right. Um, so I would be surprised if they went away from that. But, yeah, I mean they did consider it the most recent time I reckon they considered it was a goal last year when maxwell came quite close to playing in that second test at goal that had an absolute minefield spinning pitch in the first test and they kind of thought well if it's going to be like that again we don't need four out and out bowlers we can get away with a bit of maxwell and uh, and do it that way so they thought about bringing him in for mitchell stark um, but it ended up being a flatter wicket so stark played and that was the right call whether they consider that here um you know given they did at least think about doing it that suggests that um, has
0: come into their thinking. So, yeah, I mean, that that could be potentially an option for them. We've had some interesting special guests in the Australian team over this series. We had uh, Oscar Piastri, the Formula One race car driver at Lords. We also had Joel Selwood from the Geelong Football Club at Lourdes. And today we had Stuart Jew, who uh, this week lost his job as the Gold Coast Suns head coach. And he's popped up Today at training, what's what's the story behind that? Do we know anything?
1: Uh, not a whole lot, other than uh, that he's just on holiday over here, so he must have packed up from the Gold Coast pretty quickly uh, and come over to England. And he's he's got the team kit on and he's he's out there. I saw him. <laughs> I was saying to a few people here that he, if anyone had Andy Flower and Stewie Dew talking out in the middle of Old Trafford before the fourth test on the <laughs> Ashes bingo card, then uh, they've done better than me because I was not expecting to see that. Um, I was, when I saw Stuart Chu kind of walking up, I was kind of half expecting to see Sylvia as well. As, <laughs> um, but none of this chat will make any sense to a lot of the listeners. So
0: We apologise yeah, for that. But- Let's jump straight into the chat now with Steve Smith. This is the Unplayable Podcast brought to you by Qantas, the spirit of Australia. All right, Steve, we're here at Manchester now. You've had a week and a bit off. Uh, how have you spent your uh, last couple of days?
2: Yeah, had a few days in London. Um, went out to Wimbledon on the Wednesday, I think it was, for the quarterfinal. Um, saw Carlos Alcaraz beat Holger Roon, which was a, a great game. Um, two superstars of the future. Um, obviously, Alcaraz has gone on to beat Djokovic in the final yesterday, which was an incredible game to watch. Um, you know, I was glued to the TV watching that one. So, um, yeah, went out there, had a few days around London, just. Refreshing myself, relaxing and then back up here in Manchester, ready to get started for the fourth test.
0: You're a big tennis fan, aren't you? Is that probably your second favourite sport, would you say? Yeah,
2: I love my tennis, I'd say. Yeah, it's number two. So uh, it was great to be able to get out to Wimbledon and and watch a a couple of games. Um, You know, it was good fun and uh, yeah, love my tennis.
1: What do you love so much about it, Steve? And, and, and tell us about Wimbledon as well. Like how does it, you know, people kind of compare it to Lords and I think Paddy compared it to like Augusta the other day, like <laughs> in terms of, you know, the home of that particular sport. Yeah. Can you tell us about all that?
2: Um, I used to play tennis a lot as a kid growing up. Um, you know, it was my winter sport pretty much until I was about 15. Um, you know, I loved the sort of the, the mental side of it as well. Um, you know, being a smaller kid um, back then I had to work on angles and different ways to win points, um, particularly against taller, stronger opponents. So um, it was something that I enjoyed and I probably can translate a little bit to cricket in a way, um, the mental side of things, I suppose. So um, now I just really admire the athletes. They're obviously out there on their own um, figuring out ways to do things. Obviously a little bit different now. You can get a bit of coaching, I think, which is, which is new. But um, yeah, just being able to solve problems out there by yourself and figure ways to play. It's something that, um, that I admire and, you know, watching Alcaraz play the other day, a 20 year old kid to have the ability to knock off someone like Djokovic on the big stage. Um, you know, that guy's got a bright future.
1: Yeah. The coaching while you're out there kind of thing. Is that something you'd like to see? I mean, it
2: kind of, does it kind of happen in cricket anyway? Like, you know, the
1: coach can run a message out to
2: you or. Yeah. Um, I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, I quite liked it when you had to figure it out for yourself out there. So um, not the biggest fan, but don't make the rules.
0: Um, Now, you obviously had a few days off so you could see the tennis, but in the heat of like a big series, are you happy with like the the no tour games or are you someone who would prefer to play tour games or you prefer the time off?
2: Uh, Honestly, I needed a break after, um, you know, I've been here for a lot longer than some of the others, obviously played some county cricket and stuff to Um, Prepare, I suppose in a way, and um, in particular the back-to-back test matches, having the big break in the middle, I think is good for for a lot of people. Um, Personally, I needed to refresh myself mentally. Um, And if I had to rock up for a three-day game, I'd probably be grumpy. So um, no, it's been nice to just get away from it and and then get back here for a few days of good training before we get back into it. But uh, that's just my personal view.
0: And how was the week at Leeds? It was your 100th test match, of course. Was it a different build-up for you? Was there a bit more, I guess, spotlight on it? And how did you feel the week went for you?
2: Uh, The week didn't go very well. Um, Didn't enjoy it too much. Um, Yeah, didn't have much impact in the game uh, outside of a few catches. But, um, yeah, hopefully uh, I can turn it around this week. Um, You know, it was quite a... A draining week mentally I suppose with um, emotions flying around and sort of what I'd achieved and stuff um, yeah I, I usually don't like to think about that kind of thing but it was quite a big milestone I suppose individually but um, yeah it was a disappointing week in the end uh, I think we had our opportunities to get over the line and would have made the back end of this series a lot more relaxed I suppose in a way but um, yeah wasn't to be and uh, yeah big week coming up this week
1: and what do you put that down to, Steve? Like we're going to ask you in a little while about your best test centuries. and one of the things when we were kind of putting the, the list together, we were almost ranking like the degree of difficulty in, in certain innings and yeah. stuff like that. So you, you're someone who's done a great job in terms of putting emotions to one side. What, what was it kind of about last week that made it so difficult?
2: Uh, I'm not sure. It was kind of back-to-back games, obviously. Um, quick turnaround from Lords to, to Headingley and, um, And then, yeah, I was quite mentally just drained from that to begin with. So, um, yeah, certainly didn't feel switched on as I would have liked out in the middle. Um, But it's been good to just refresh and I feel a lot more focused mentally this week, um, which I'm looking forward to. Um, But, yeah, I don't know. Outside of that, it was just a a weird week. I'm not really sure why.
1: Hmm. (laughs) Coming back to Manchester, obviously somewhere that has fond memories for you guys last time in terms of... Um, retaining the ashes. Is that kind of a good feeling?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think in, in terms of the wicket as well, it's probably as close here in the Oval. The last two tests are probably as close to Australia as you get in terms of the pace and bounce out of the wicket. Um, and it's a place that I've enjoyed playing at. I, I think, um, you know, I got 200 obviously last time. I think in 2013 when we were here, I got 89 and hit Graham Swan down deep mid-wicket's throat. Um when I should have got my first hundred, probably. Um, that was 10 years ago. I love that you're still kind of like stewing on
1: that. You can, yeah. you can remember that. Yeah, I mean, it was
2: so dumb. <laughs> three men out and I tried to take them on because um, I was getting a bit edgy. But, um, yeah, so, no, it's a place I enjoy playing. Um, I enjoy batting here. Um, you get good value for your shots. There's good carry in the wicket and, uh, yeah, it's a nice place to play. So, um, Yeah, looking forward to this week.
0: It's funny you mentioned taking on the long boundary or boundaries when there's lots of fielders out there. We've seen quite a lot of that in this series. Uh, What have you made of the tactics so far from both sides that have been pretty extreme as far as um, what we've seen in the past for Test cricket?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's... It's a little different in terms of um, what we've seen um, tactics obviously at Lord's where both teams just went short pitch bowling the wicket obviously wasn't offering a great deal particularly when the sun was out so um, you know it was a tactic that yeah both sides used at that stage and batters just continued to get out so that I suppose it worked um, and then Yeah, I mean, last week was probably a little different. The the dimensions of the ground probably weren't quite as big as the pockets at Lord's, so probably didn't cater for it quite as much. But, um, yeah, players are still taking it on and presenting plenty of opportunities. Um, So, yeah, a bit bigger here. I don't know. We'll see it again maybe. I'm not sure. Hmm.
1: Did you anticipate that kind of tactical battle that's kind of turned out? Because, you know, watching on it, it seems completely different to a lot of cricket, a lot of Ashes cricket that's been played in the past.
2: Yeah it, it is different um, and I think for us it's certainly been a way where we feel like we can take wickets but slow down the scoreboard as well um, particularly when it's flatter pitching it up hasn't sort of worked in a way they've, they've scored some runs at quick um, pace whereas going short they're still taking the game on we got men out there so they're a lot of the time and they're getting a single with a risky shot so um, and it feels like we're presenting opportunities so yeah, I feel like it's a tactic, that, tactic that's worked pretty well for us and, um, yeah, whether we continue to use it or not, I'm, I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, it's it's certainly provided us with plenty of wicked opportunities.
1: I, I think before the series, I remember you kind of saying a few times that you were really intrigued to see how basball would kind of go and how it would go against, you know, your bowling attack in particular. Um, you know, so you're intrigued to see it from three tests so far. What have your observations been on it?
2: Um... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to watch from the slips or, or out at Deep Square Leg where I've spent a bit of time as well. So um, I think in terms of conditions, we probably haven't had the best of them to bowl in just yet. I reckon we probably had 20 minutes, half an hour in the first test where we made some good inroads and things looked really difficult for their batters. Um, I think it's it's sort of been a contrast, but we feel like we've batted under lights a lot and the ball's been doing a fair bit and the batters have been able to sort of get through those periods, which has been good. Um, but I don't think we've had those periods a great deal in terms of our bowling. So this week could be a little different. I, I see there's plenty of clouds around, um, so we might get that opportunity this week, um, which I'd like to see as well. So. Um, yeah, I was encouraged by that 20, 30 minutes we saw when we did have the lights on and the the clouds overhead. So if we get that, it um, could be interesting.
0: Is it a little bit similar to when we see in Australia with the pink ball under lights and it seems to hoop around everywhere. Is that a, like a comparison to what it's like when the lights are on here and cloud cover overhead?
2: Yeah, it can be a little bit, yeah. Um, you know, it's an intriguing place to play cricket, you know, the sun can come out and it can be beautiful to bad and ball doesn't do much and the clouds roll in, lights come on and the ball just starts going all over the shop. So, you know, I think that's the beauty of the game here as well. You know, I, I enjoy those challenges um, as a batter, you know, it might feel you might feel really comfortable for a while. Clouds roll in, you have to rein your game in and you know get through that period and then hopefully the clouds go away Um, sometimes after six o'clock it's the best time of the day here in England so it can be nice to bat in that period so you know it's the beauty of the game here and um, it's why I enjoy playing here.
0: Can you take us back to day five at Lords for a second Uh, obviously the crowd was going ballistic Uh, Ben Stokes was going ballistic can you walk us through sort of how that day played out and how you and Pat sort of managed to wrangle that victory when it looked like for a minute there that England might run away with it
2: yeah there was a bit of deja vu for a while there with the way Stokes he was going off but you know we always felt we weren't too far away um, you know we, were, we got a couple of opportunities I dropped mine out at deep square a few balls just landed in the middle of nowhere Starkey probably had an opportunity at fine leg so you know for us it was The way we sort of navigated it it was like Stokes, he was only going down the hill um, towards that side. So it was trying to protect as much as we could um, that end and and try and drag him a bit wider, I suppose, and then try and make him go up the hill a bit. And I think it was the first time he actually tried to take on up the hill for some time that he um, brought about his downfall. So, you know, Um, It was an incredible innings to witness again, um, you know, the way he just took the game on and played to his strengths and played with such intelligence. Um, You know, it was, it was, it was good to witness. Um, But yeah, we we didn't feel too far away and um, we knew, you know, the last few probably weren't going to hang around for too long. Um, So once we got that wicket, we felt pretty comfortable, but um, yeah, it was a hell of a game.
0: And, well, that was my first time to Lords, In the first couple of days, there were golf claps and, you know, quiet appreciation. And then it just erupted on day five. What was it like being
2: out there in the middle? Uh, pretty normal for me, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I actually said to the boys, I said, welcome to my life. So, um, no, it was, it was a bit different, obviously, for Lords. But, um, you know, sometimes people aren't happy with some certain things and they make them known. But, um, yeah, I don't have much more to add. <laughs> How about
1: in terms of how they have bowled to you, Steve? Like it was always going to be different to 2019, and probably even 21, 22. It seems to us like it's been even more extreme. Like they've doubled down on certain things, like having two leg slips when you first come into bat. How have you How have you enjoyed kind of thinking your way through all of that?
2: Yeah, no, it's it's been interesting. A couple of different tactical things that they've done. Um, you know, I was pretty sure that they would come up with some some different stuff, but. Um, no, it's been been good. I feel like I've, I've got through some pretty tough periods, um, you know, Lords when the lights were on, um, things like that, and, and had an impact in that game. Um, didn't have as much impact in the first and third game as I'd like, but, um, you know, we've played four test matches here. I've got 200s in four games, um, which is probably better than my record overall in terms of 100s scored and games played, so you know, a couple more games to go and um, two places that I really enjoy batting. So um, yeah, hopefully I can have an impact in the last two and ideally in this one and hopefully wrap things up and, um, you know, let the pressure kind of off for the last game.
1: And how about them kind of bringing in Mark Wood who they've just named, I'm not sure if you saw England just named their team. You've seen that just a bit before we've um, started recording. So, you know, Mark Wood's obviously a different challenge. How does he kind of compare to say Jofra Archer in, in 2019 when you guys had a, had a great battle there too?
2: Uh, well, he's a different bowler. He's, he's a lot more skiddy I suppose than Jofra, who gets a bit more bounce and um, coming from a taller height so different bowlers but he's yeah he's certainly coming in and bowling some good pace and having a lot of impact for England which he has done for you know a couple of years now I think since he lengthened his run up and, and started bowling quicker more consistently so you know he's a he's a good competitor um, you know even with the bat, he's had a good impact in the last game as well so um, you know he's been a a big player for them and yeah hopefully our batters can can keep him quiet this week and um, you know if that's the case hopefully we can um, that'll take us a long way to to winning the game
1: Do you feel like that team we're just talking about that team that they picked for Old Trafford in particular the, the four fast bowlers with Wokes Broaden, and Anderson obviously know how good they are and Wood is that kind of the best version of that bowling attack do you think is this going to be the, the toughest challenge you've had in this series
2: Oh uh, I'm not sure I think Ollie Robinson's a good bowler as well so um yeah Wokes he came back last game bowled really well and you know conditions over here sued him I think he's a he's a very good bowler um, very good cricketer um so yeah look it's, it's going to be a challenge um you know probably a few emotions flying around for someone like Jimmy as well I'm, I'm hearing maybe it could be his last game at uh, Old Trafford his home ground so you know he's after missing the last game probably keen to come out and make a point and and have impact and you know he's been an incredible bowler for what 15 years now so um, you know and his longevity in the game is you know simply incredible so uh, yeah he knows these conditions well but um, yeah hopefully we can as a batting group have success against him.
0: And uh, you mentioned Ollie Robinson. I just want to ask you about your stint with Sussex, so your first sort of experience in the county championship. What was that like and what was it like spending a change room or sharing a change room with Robinson who'd been so vocal in the press leading up to that?
2: No, it was good. Uh, no, he's actually a good fella. So, um, no, it was, it was a good stint. I enjoyed it, um, had some fun and, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a good trip and a good, good way to get some cricket in and, um, yeah, it was fun.
1: Thinking about um you we kinda of asked you this before, um, mm-hmm. or mentioned it that we we're gonna ask you about this before around your top centuries, it's kind of the build into your hundredth test and we kind of published an article suggesting what we thought were your, your top, you know, top thirty-two, but um, <laughs> it, we'll get your thoughts on maybe the top five or ten. Did you agree with our list? Or maybe I'll just I might actually just get. Do you get want it you up. me to read them out? Yeah, got them if you've got them there. So, yeah.
0: so we had Edge BAST in twenty nineteen the first innings as number one. Uh, Pune 2017 that, on that minefield as number two. Mm-hmm. Uh, your century at the Centurion in 2014 against Stane, more cool uh, for Lander, I think. Yeah. Uh, at number four, we had the second innings of Edgebaston. I think because Marnus Lavishane said he thought it was better than the first innings. <laughs> Maybe the way I batted, <laughs> but not circumstantially. Okay, great. And then five was Adelaide in 2014, not long after the passing of Phil Hughes. Um, and then at six, we had Old Trafford, the double century that we mentioned. So how do you think we went on that top six? Are there
2: any notable omissions? Decent. I probably put um, 2017 Gabba Ashes in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one f- 140, I think I got. Um, now team was in a bit of trouble. First game of the Ashes series. Um, I think it's it's an important game, the first one to play well and win. So... Um, You know, I was captaining as well, so I wanted to set the standard, I suppose. And, um, yeah, I think that score helped us post a a pretty good total. I think we got just in front of England in the first innings. And, yeah, that one for me would be up in the top five, I reckon. Okay.
0: And they sort of went with a short ball tactic
2: in that match as well, did they? For a little while, yeah. Um, Yeah, the gab is a bit different, I suppose, to some of the other places. When you're going short, you can kind of... It's pretty consistent, the bounce and you can get under it or, um, yeah, the bounce is just consistent so it's a lot easier to play for sure.
1: And in terms of how we, like, so we were kind of ranking them in terms of what we thought was harder. So, you know, the, the first test of an Ashes series, uh, 2017, you know, it's that level. Pune, 2017, we thought was was that level. The first game back after, after the, you know, your break from test cricket, that was probably there. Is that kind of how you would think about them, the degree of difficulty?
2: Yeah, I'd probably put conditions, game situation, um, what the team, yeah, the game situation conditions, situation of series and importance of like starting well. And like I said about a first test of an Ashes series. Um, yeah, I think all that's got to be weighed into it, I suppose. Um, yeah, I don't know what more to add. <laughs> yeah.
1: so, so you agree that Edge was number yeah, one? Yeah, I think
2: we were in a bit of trouble yeah. first game. Um, Pune was a funny one. I think conditions-wise it was very difficult, but I actually didn't play that well. I think I got dropped five times, got five good 20s. So, I mean, it was an important one, but um, actually didn't play that well, if that makes sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, if you can score 100 and not play well, that's a pretty good mark. Uh, I also wanted to ask you about your fielding. Uh, You said you hadn't had as much of an impact in the first and third as you wanted, but you've had a big impact in the field and you've been in those key positions. Um, Is that something you like doing, being on the boundary and obviously gets you a lot closer to the crowd as well?
2: I mean, I try and get myself in positions where the ball's likely to go, Um, you know... um, like to think I've got reasonable hands, um, and I think I broke the record the other day for ashes catches or something. Yep, five
0: in an in innings.
2: Um, yeah, or no, like overall catches oh, maybe okay, in yeah. ashes.
0: You stumped
1: us <laughs> on that one. <laughs> yeah, you should be in our job. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so no, I try and get myself in positions where the ball's likely to go, and you know when we're going the short stuff, that yeah. fielder at deep backward square is a pretty hot spot. Um, and then I prefer to just be staying in the slips honestly and, and <laughs> taking them there. But um, no, it's been yeah, sort of follow the ball um, kind of thing and try and get your fielders, which I think is important the way England are playing, get your sort of best fielders in good positions, A bit like one day cricket or T20 cricket in a way. So when the opportunities are created, you have more chance of, of getting them.
1: It's a matter of pride as well that you are you know you're a very good fielder in a lot of different positions like i think about the great australian fields like R- ricky ponting is probably one i think of like he was great on the boundary he's obviously a good slips fielder but he could also run someone out from backward point is is that a something you're kind of proud of oh, um
2: yeah i've always prided myself on my fielding um got told at a very young age that if you want to play cricket you're going to spend 50 percent of your time in the field so you might as well try and be good at it so you know i always worked on my fielding as a kid um you know, I wanted to be involved in the game as much as possible and get myself in positions where um, I want the ball. Um, and you know, I think that's part of fielding. It's an attitude thing. And if you want to be good at it and you want to get better at it, then you can certainly make strides with it. So, um, yeah, it's something I've pr- prided myself on throughout my whole career.
0: On the theme of reflecting on your career, is there a favorite catch that you've taken or are there too many to go through?
2: Um, probably BJ Watling at SCG. It was, uh, backward point he carved one away um it was my left hand I've taken quite a few good ones in my right hand but being my left hand um you know the way I caught that one was probably my favorite
1: we could ask about your bowling and in, in that regard I know this is one that Josh wanted to get away but um how's it going you said the other day that you weren't working on it at all is that also the
0: case yeah now? no I haven't
2: bowled <laughs> <laughs> I haven't bowled for a while
0: 'Cause we've also noticed and you've been doing it for a few years, but
2: off spin to the left hander and maybe leg spin to the right hander, is that the general idea? Yeah, I mean off spin's just easy to bowl. So <laughs> you don't really well personally I don't have to work on it. I can just roll in and roll out a few offies that are I think half decent. But um yeah, I don't really work on it.
0: Great. Steve, all the best for the remaining two tests of this series and thanks for joining us. Beauty. Thank you.